What's up, what's up, everybody? This is your girl, Aisha Tripp, coming to you live from KUSF, University of San Francisco College Radio. I am your host, your hostess with the mostest for this awesome, amazing podcast called The Seeds You Sow Podcast. And I am live in the studio with amazing, lovely people who I call not only my co-host, but also my friends. So we're here for our first episode. We're super excited. We got a great show for you guys, and we're just going to hop right into things. So as I said, my name is Aisha Tripp. I am from Pittsburgh, California. That is Pittsburgh with no H because we do not hate. But I also reside in Oakland. That's where my family is from. I got a lot of love for the city of Oakland. So that's where I'm staying at right now. And I also got my lovely co-host in the studio with me. And so I would like for everybody to go around, introduce themselves, to state your name, where you're from, and what are you looking to contribute to this podcast as well as what you are looking to receive. All right, I guess I'll get it started. My name is Damon. I am from Northern California, uh, Vacaville to be more specific. Um, you know, people like to argue whether or not that's uh, the Bay Area, so I'll, I'll stay out of that conversation. But, um, you know, it's Northern California, and uh, I've been in uh, Oakland for the past two years, and it was in Walnut Creek before, so I'm Bay Area for the last 10 years. But um, I'm here to just, you know, connect with some of my fellow people and uh, hopefully offer a perspective that's unique and insightful and uh, hopefully help to uh, kind of bring some some progress to our people. So, uh, mm. you know, that's that's my goal. Um, we'll see where it goes. And, uh, you know, just hopefully I bring it and uh, we all bring it and we have a good show. Sounds good, brother. I appreciate you bringing Amen. some progress to our people. Yes, we need that. Let's move forward. Let's keep it going in a circle. Go ahead over here, the Warriors fan. <laughs> What's going on, y'all? My name is Michael. Grew up, born and raised here in the Bay Area. Uh, left for a short stint, but came right back. Uh, love this beautiful place that we came from. I am here to provide a perspective of someone who is only half black. And I think that sometimes I can see things through a different lens because I am, to some extent, on the outside. And I want to... I want to meet new people. I want to learn new things. I want to just be happy to sit here next to these brilliant people that I'm sitting next to. Mm-hmm. We are deep, brilliant, and black and beautiful. Three Bs, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Deacon Mike, as we call him at College Track. He gonna give y'all a sermon. He trying to hold back, but he ready to, he ready to preach. He is. <laughs> I got one coming for y'all. And then, um, so we also have in the studio for us today for our first um, ever episode. We have a guest, his name, he's gonna give his name, because I'll let him say that himself, but he has his own organization called Build Wealth. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, so first off, uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for the the warm invitation. My name is Jasper Smith, AKA Mr. Build Wealth, and happy to, to be a part of this first episode. So I'm, I'm honored that you would bring me in as your Yay. first initial guest. Um, I, I hail from Durham, North Carolina, which uh, if you don't know, has been in the news the past mm-hmm. week with the whole statue thing. That's, that's where I was born and raised. I'm familiar with that statue. Mm. Um, but living here now, I've been in the Bay for almost a decade, and it's just, you know, what I'm trying to do with this whole Build Wealth movement is change the way we think and feel about money, uh, because money is a taboo subject, and so that's what I want to to give to this to this uh, this show, but also to in return getting your perspectives because we all have a life, uh, a journey, experiences, and it's always great to get those stories about 
people's relationships with money. Definitely, yes. <clears throat> Amen, brother. Yeah. See, all right. We already got the spirit. We filling it in here, y'all. <laughs> we were having a real good conversation on the way up to the studio. And so it took us a while to get everything situated, but we're here and we're making it work. Um, and my apologies, I did not even go ahead and give like a background in terms of what this podcast stands for. So the seed you sow is inspired by the parable of the seed and the sower. And we're thinking about how media platforms, let it be music, television, film, radio, when you are on that platform, you are planting a potential seed and that seed takes root. So what we're doing on this particular podcast is we're planting seeds of greatness, we're planting seeds of knowledge, seeds of hope, so they can take root within ourselves, within our communities, and bring forth action, bring forth the justice, and bring forth change. And so with all these different lovely people that we have in the studio and the people that will be coming throughout the show, we're hoping to really just, you know, spark a movement and be a part of the movements that are already going on. So we're all working professionals. We're all from different backgrounds, and we're going to give you guys a hot show. It's going to be energetic. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun. I'm pretty sure you can hear right now my voice. I hope you do. Yes, and we got live streaming, so we'll be able to like post that for you guys as well, so it's going to be great. So what we got lined up for today is for our first episode. Um, the title is The Fugitive State of Mind. How do you define social protest? Right now, there's a lot going on within our culture in terms of let it be with the boycott with the NFL for Colin Kaepernick, let it be with the events that are taking that did take place in Charlottesville. A lot of different opinions, um, a lot of different perspectives on how do we define social protests and how do we go forward with a collective movement to make sure that change is going forward. So we're going to be discussing that. We're also going to be talking to Jasper Smith about his Build Wealth organization. I told him on the way here, I'm just super excited because I feel like it's debunking that whole myth of getting rich. So yes. Mm -hmm. Let's build some wealth. Hmm, Let's talk right. about some financial literacy. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. <laughs> Can I get a praise black Jesus, praise Buddha, praise whoever you want? <laughs> but yes, we are going to be talking about some wealth. Um, and then also, too... You can always be guaranteed each episode um, we are going to be highlighting at least two books because the tagline for this particular podcast is, Damon, did you want to go ahead and tell them the tagline? Do you remember what I was saying earlier? <laughs> she put me on the spot. <laughs> the answer is no. I have no idea. <laughs> did you remember what I said earlier? <laughs> Okay, I'll go ahead and say it. I know y'all heard it, though, because y'all was laughing at me. I'm sorry, sister. The tagline is, you are not entitled to your opinion but you are entitled to your informed opinion so we're not about reacting we're about responding we're not about just talking out the side of our butts we are coming with facts we are citing our sources we are reading articles and we are encouraging you to do the same so each episode you will get a piece of literature that you can read or perhaps even scan, because I know some people in the studio did that. And that's okay. <laughs> and that is okay. At least you scan. Shots fired <laughs> already. Shots fired. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, we keep it real here. We keep it real. <laughs> so that's what you can expect each episode, as well as us highlighting different um, entrepreneurs, activists, and community, um, community leaders who are doing things um, and spreading seeds of greatness. So we're going to go ahead... We're gonna hop right into the topics. Is there anything that's like on somebody's mind right now? Like, what? How you guys feeling? We did pop a bottle of champagne. We did. You know, so we feeling a little toasted. We're feeling good. How? how can good. I? Can I get like a pulse check in the room? How y'all feeling? Feeling good. I feel good. I'm looking forward to a good conversation. I think that. Yes. There's a lot of stuff that. Uh, 
needs to be talked about, and I'm especially excited uh, that we got my brother over here in the room because I really am interested in the perspective of someone that's actually from uh, North Carolina, mm. and uh, mm. like, because I, I know I look at that a completely different way than you do. Yep. Um, <laughs> so it's not a black thing. It's, it's kind of a, a it's a thing. It's, 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 a, it's a location thing. It's oh, a, it's mm -hmm. a thing. So I'm really interested in what that's going to be like. So yeah. Okay. Cool. So we're gonna hop right into this. So I know typically what we do as a group here because we all know each other from different walks of life. Well, we're all coming together as a collective unit for the first time. Um, but we all have like different backgrounds, and I was sending out the emails to my fellow co-hosts as well as to Jasper Pryor. Um, to make sure that we're all on the same page. And there's been a lot going on. And I'm just trying to narrow down exactly where you guys want to start this conversation. But um, this really stuck out to me in this article, um, the fugitive state of mind in terms of protest. So this article, which is written by Professor Juliet Hooker of the University of Texas of Austin, um, the article is stated, uh, it's, it's titled, The Black Lives Matter and the Paradoxes of the U.S. Black Politics, From Democratic Sacrifice to Democratic Repair. Um, it's a great article. It's a little lengthy, but still has a lot of information. It's talking about the current Black Lives Matter movement and then also putting it in conversation with the civil rights movement and how at times we have romanticized that era. Um, it's also bringing in the conversation the sacrifice of given protests, um, the politics behind that. And she goes on to conclude within this article, she brings up the extreme example of in order for social change to really take hold, there is a level of civil disobedience as well as rebellion that needs to take place. And she uses the example of slavery, for example, in terms of at one point, as we know in our country, if you are a slave, you are property to your given owner, you were property to your given state. And if you wanted your freedom, if you wanted your rights, if you wanted your life, you would literally have to break that given law and rebel against your master. And so the fugitive state of mind in terms of protest means break the given laws and do what you need to fight for your life, fight for your rights, and fight for your family. So I just bring that up as kind of like the surface um, in terms of how we're looking at protest and with the different things that are going on. And I just want to open it up to my um, co-hosts, because I'm really interested to hear your guys' thoughts in general about how we're defining protest um, and how it's how it's looking today and how we can go forward with effective change. So my first question to everybody is, how do you define that given protest? Do you see it in extreme light? Or are there different ways that we can fight as a community on an individual as well as collective whole in order to make like that change happen. And I know I just said a lot. <laughs> I did. So, and if there's other things coming to mind, just please go ahead and just talk on it. That is definitely a tough question to answer. Um, I, I think we'll talk about a lot of tough topics in this podcast. For me, I think that there is a way to use the system of power against the people who are in power. So rather than, I think we do, I think we do need to be to some extent disobedient and to some extent rebellious. But I think that we also have to make sure that we do that within our own moral compass mm. to make sure that we feel good about what we are doing. So some of the things we saw this week with um, the opposite side bringing guns and riot gear to these protests is something that I don't want us to stoop down to. 
I want us to make sure that we are staying within our, our moral compass as we rebel and as we are obedient. Mm. Moral compass. I have a follow-up question now, but go ahead, Damon. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree uh, with what Mike was just talking about. But what I want to, um, what I kind of want to focus on, like think about what the definition of protest is, right? Thank it's you. It's a statement or action of, a, a statement or action expressing disapproval or objection to something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we have a right to protest. Obviously, we have a right to demonstrate. Obviously, we have a right uh, to express disapproval. Um, there's a lot of ways that people go about that, and there's a lot of people who make judgments or uh, criticisms about the way another person might uh, express their disapproval. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that comes from uh, just your environment, who you are. Like, maybe to someone, uh, a violent protest is what gets their point across. Mm-hmm. Maybe to someone uh, speaking in a square mm-hmm. and, you know, really pinpointing the issues and talking about solutions and really planning for change is their way of protest. But that doesn't make one better than the other. Mm-hmm. I think that they all have a place in this system and they all are going to work together for good if they do work together for good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm really cautious about my judgment of certain actions. I mean, even yeah. even when it comes down to things like the more unfortunate occurrences like cars running into people or mm-hmm. uh, someone getting shot at a protest or something turning violent and the police doing what they do. I mean, I think that we all understand, even back from the civil rights movement, we all understand that sometimes when there's thousands of people demonstrating about something then there's disagreements, things happen. But I think that the important thing uh, at least from my perspective, is that we actually focus on what we're talking about, mm-hmm. what the protest is. Why are these people on both sides? Why are these people so adamant about their position? Ah! Why, are they, oh, why are these people on both <laughs> sides? Where are they coming from? Why are they doing what they're doing? Why is, you know, instead of just looking at how this person's affected me, instead of just looking at how, you know, these uh, white supremacists, whatever label you put on them, are do we look at that perspective? Do we do we do we take a second to step back and take a step out of like our blackness, right? And just think about it as people, right? Everybody mm-hmm. comes from a perspective. We all do, right? True that. It's and that includes them, you know. So they all came up in mm-hmm. something. So that's you know interesting. Because when you said both sides, I'm now cringing to that. Mm-hmm. I have my opinions on that. <laughs> Good. Because, yeah. Because, but yeah, I mean, I want to let should. I want to let Mr. Smith get on the mic, you know, and let him say something too to the conversation. I, I actually agree with that. Like, we, we only look at it a lot of times from our perspective and our experiences, but they're they're this way for, for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Which we sometimes don't know. And I look at a lot of the protests that we have, have had in our history. I mean, they're hot for a minute. And mm-hmm. what really changes long-term? Not much, because we still mad. <laughs> I mean, every protest I see, I'm like, okay, so you think Black Lives Matter was really hot for a minute and it's slowly been fizzling out because what was the long term? I don't I, Was there a plan? And I've heard some people right. who know the. it was like, was there a plan? Right. So we're going to protest. And then what? Because most of us will go protest and there's no there's it's just dot, 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 dot. Exactly. So a lot of our things. So from a financial standpoint, it was like the banking black movement. It lost a lot of steam, but people just forgot it was hot for a minute. Um, a few people might have started banking black. 
and it just kind of fizzled out. And it's still right. going on, but you don't hear anybody talking about it. Exactly. Right? And so with, with all of these protests, it's like, all right, people are going to tear down statues for the next maybe three months, right. and then there's something else going to happen, right. and then that's going to divert our attention. Like, oh, now we're back to normal. No. Right. We're never going to be back, but we, have, we, we do just enough. And then when it when it really gets tough, we're like, ooh, I'm, I'm, I gotta take care of my stuff. I, I can't I can't help out no more. Exactly. I think it's because in today's um, world that we live in, it's definitely more <clears throat> like as we know, a more individualized based culture. Mm-hmm. And like what you like you guys are saying, there. What's the goal? What's the purpose? What's the organized mm-hmm. leadership? What are we trying to accomplish? And there's a lot of just given different pockets of people with different agendas. But what's the collective agenda? That I think during the the times and movements before us, there was more of a collective goal and a collective conscious because people were meeting up, not just on social media outlets, but like in the actual churches and actually like being together. And we had centralized leaders and centralized goals. So I think that's why it was a little bit more effective. But then, you know, we can go into a whole other conversation because they killed right. our leaders. Then they brought in crack cocaine. And that's like, so, oh. right. So, so if you think about, um, we, d- we don't have those leaders anymore. There's nobody willing to take that stand to be on that pedestal because, right, a fear of getting shot or assassinated by whoever is out Cointel to get Pro. them, right? Cointel Pro. So- <laughs> Cointel Pro. <laughs> and, and it's a tough thing for somebody being willing to take that stand because you, you really are putting your life on the line. And if I have a family, I'm like, you know, how far do I go? Mm. Like, I love my kids. I love, you know, it's like, God, do I, am, I, am I really willing to die? For somebody I don't even know. I don't know, y'all. So am I willing to die? Maybe. And see, that goes back to the whole, like, fugitive state of mind. That's why I was like, yo, this is extreme to think like that. But does it take something like that? Michael, you seem like you want to, you go here like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, um, no, it's interesting. When we brought up the definition of protest, I looked that up today, too. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) I didn't really want to share it because I think if you look at the definition of protest, what the white supremacist groups did this week fits within that. Um, they came and they showed their their disapproval of what was going on. But I think what bothers me most about the way in which they did it is in, in the reason why I say that we need to make sure our protests fit within our moral compass is because when you bring guns and riot gear, it's less about you showing your disapproval and more about you showing that I have the power to take you over. Mm-hmm. So it's more about I'm I'm going to bully you out of what you think rather than I just disapprove with what you say. So when I, when I kind of make comment on fitting within the moral compass, I think it talks directly to that, is that I want to show that we disapprove of what's going on, but we're not here to show that if you're not with us, we're going to shoot you. Well, see, I think... Go ahead, Damon. <laughs> I just have one question about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Black Panthers, right? <sighs> they showed up with guns ready for action, right? Mm-hmm. We love that. I think that, I think that if you look a lot into the Black Panthers, they didn't necessarily show up with guns ready for action. They showed up with guns ready to protect themselves. Thanks. Well, that's what I meant by that. Yeah, yeah. Thank so, you for clarifying that. To defend. So, like... In this, in this rally this week, I really seriously think that they were not coming with guns to show that they were going to protect themselves, mm-hmm. but rather that we got the power, right? We got the power and we'll take you off the pedestal if we need to. Well, let's set the record straight that the white supremacists who came to demonstrate their power and their privilege were not there in, for 
fighting for their rights, defending mm. or protecting themselves. <laughs> they're protecting their supremacy. They're protecting their power. They're protecting, they're coming out and challenge me. I would love to be challenged on this. It's because white supremacy within America isn't just the person with a swastika yelling the n-word. White supremacy is within the systems, it's within the standards, it's, it's within the structures. And the fact that we are now living in a time where there's more people of color showing their face, showing their opinion, showing their voices, that is threatening white supremacy and that's what they're getting upset about. It's not mm -hmm. just about the statue alone. It's about that power that they've upheld and the fact that people are speaking out and that's what they're per se fighting against, but they're more so looking to uphold that. So I wouldn't even look at it as they have anything to defend because the people of color have always historically been on the front of defending themselves as a people, as a culture, and for our right to even be here. Mm -hmm. I feel so, that. I definitely put that out there. So I, I got a question for Jasper since, you know, that hits close to home, literally, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if you could just, like, give us a quick, like, over... I mean, you don't have to be quick, but an overview of... <laughs> like what the actual situation is and from your perspective you know what you think about it, it, it it's a statue smack dab in downtown durham like right. other big major metropolitan areas they have a lot of symbols from like the confederacy mm. and i think growing up in those environments you're kind of almost oblivious to it because you, you just know there's a statue right? right you don't know the history mm -hmm. um you don't realize there is a deeper meaning behind why that symbol is there you think about street signs, you think about these plazas, these gardens, these all these areas that are named for some people who probably did some bad stuff to my ancestors, right? And so I think understanding where I come from and knowing that I really don't, I didn't care about the whole white supremacists getting together because I know I've known that to always be true oh, yeah. uh, they don't affect my my pay <laughs> I'm not I don't work for any of them that I know of you know but so I don't think it had a huge effect on oh I'm mad let me go tear down some statues mm -hmm. because a lot of these efforts um, is systematic yeah and these systems have been in place for a long time and they had a head start so I don't care if you don't like me if you're not affecting my bottom line or my family like directly, I don't care what you do. Mm -hmm. And that's just me, right? And I think about all these efforts, if we just hit them economically, I guarantee you people will change their opinions. Mm -hmm. But we don't own anything, we don't have any wealth. I mean, you, you, you see how the system, one, we didn't, we didn't get the information till late, so a lot of us are trying to play catch up and I don't think we should be playing catch up. Right. Let's run our race while we're on this earth and try to make it just a little bit better for the next generation. That's what my parents did. I'm sure some of your parents did the same thing where I want to do just a little bit better for my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to do what I can while I have my time. It's like a relay race, right? I'm going to run as fast as I can. I'm going to hand off the baton. That's it. I ain't perfect, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do the best I can to give them that much of a better chance to, to sprint out this next leg called, you know, the Smith generation. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's how I look at it. It doesn't upset me. It's just, it's, it's our reality, right? Mm -hmm. But, I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was, I'm sorry. Um, no, you're completely right. And I think we're all agreeing in terms of like passing on the baton, but it makes me think about when you, what, what you said, you were like, as long as you ain't affected my pay, right? <laughs> So I was just having this conversation with somebody. No, no, no. You're, cause, yeah. Hey, we all think like that, right? No, for mm -hmm. real. Like, yeah. you got to think about yourself at times, right? And so th what I'm trying to say is um, basically people nowadays, like, I think it's good that, like, in a collective movement, we're going to spread the information. We're going to spread the wealth. But sometimes it will just stop within our own family or it will mm -hmm. just stop within our own given circles because mm -hmm. we'll think, like, well, I got it good. 
I'm cool. But that'll, that like one or two of us doesn't make up for the other 50 of us who are struggling, who don't have health care, who don't have access to jobs, who don't have access to certain like resources because the systems in place are yeah. still there. So it speaks to everything you were just saying. I am trying to look at you and speak into the mic. That's like, it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's speaking to everything you say. But do you know why we are the way we are? Integration. And, and oh, you hear yeah. a lot of historians talk, integration screwed us up because now we always thought that it was better on the other side of the fence. Their ice was mm. colder. Their, their, it, we thought everything was better on the other side. Mm. And it was like we had all of our stuff, and we were content with, like, having our own businesses and hospitals and banks and schools and hospitals. I mean, you name it, we had it. Oh, let's integrate them in schools. And we just magically forgot how to work together. Mm. Yes. I mean, I definitely feel that, but I guess my question is, can you truly be, like, can you have true segregation right now within mm. this same demographic space mm. you know what i mean like yeah. not yeah. demographic but geographic space like we're all splattered across this country mm. and we're talking about segregation culturally oh. but like it's how can you really i think you can if you oh, can, wow. if, if you're self-sustaining so so mm. think of the key pillars in communities there is uh, uh there's industry okay there's a financial institution mm-hmm. perhaps a uh, a school mm-hmm. there's housing and a church Okay. And look at any town, how it would start. Usually there was a corporation who came and set up shop. They built housing for their employees. You know, then there was maybe some schooling. Then there was a financial institution that could build more and expand. And slow. look at every major town, it usually had one of those five things to start it. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't have that. Mm. Like, think about this. All across the world, in every major metropolitan city, there's this thing called Chinatown. Well, Do you mean to tell me they can go anywhere in the world and set up shop? Mm. Right. That's all I'm saying. I mean, that, that's my example. And I went to China, and, and my girl went to China, and, we, and she was like, you won't believe what they do. Right. Now, they, they have a different school of thought because we're capitalists here, so I have to do better than you, and you. I need my car to be better that's than individual. yours. It is, mm-hmm. and in capitalism, I think absolute capitalism does hurt us, and that's why we don't work together. Because, again, if you're trying to style on me with your house and car, I need to go try to figure out how I can take it from you. Right. Darn it. <laughs> so, so, it's just the school of thought. So understanding our system... I get that, right? But I think you take elements of all this other stuff and other cultures, but the Chinese have figured it out because they do it anywhere. They don't mm. speak the language, and they still can open up a business, a school. Go to Chinatown, San Francisco. I guarantee shops, banks, schools, mm-hmm. a, a place of worship. It's, it's basic stuff. They, they got their own health centers and hospitals. I mean, self-sustaining. If we, it, it, Maybe we won't get to that in my lifetime, but I'm going to do all that I can to try to help create those little... There's no black town. There's no Africa town. People are trying, <laughs> but it, just, we, we it, just, it doesn't last. But the thing about it is... Or they burn it down. You know. The thing that Chinese have, and I mean, there's other, there's other cultures that right. have their areas as well, but I mean, I think the thing that they all have that we don't have is a blueprint. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah. yeah. We don't have a blueprint. We don't have anywhere to reach back to and have mm. as our base for like, okay, this is our culture. This is how it's built, except for what? Like... I'm not... <laughs> but again, they, they don't have no base in America, but yet they have all our... They're not from this land that's called America, and all of them came over on a boat, maybe on a plane, and then they set it up. So they had... What does it look like? It looks like where they came from. And also the difference is for those... Because they're intentional about their hustle. So I'm going to be very selfish, and I'm going to segregate. I'm I'm not going to lie to come shopping my stores until I see more of my people, Mm -hmm. and I still ain't going to help you because... But I care more about my people than anybody else. But and, the they, is, and they racist as hell. But Don't get it twisted. The difference <laughs> is, too, you have to acknowledge, at least like what, when you're talking about the blueprint, right? Mm-hmm. For black people in this country, 
we didn't come here voluntarily. True. And so the the ongoing question is like, who are we? Mm-hmm. What are we about? What is our purpose? What is our blueprint? You have people from so many, even all of us sitting here can all come up with a different narrative of what the black purpose and plan should be because we can't even get back to like who we are collectively. And that's been like an ongoing struggle for forever because they separated our families. Mm-hmm. They separated our truth. They took away our worth. And we, we're on an ongoing like basis of like learning to love ourselves, learning to know our worth, our history, and our empowerment. And people are lost. Yeah. That sunken place ain't just something, you know, in the Get Out movie. It ain't, yeah. That sunken place is real. Like, people, we got to try to lift each other up, but we trying to get there. But I agree in terms of like a self-sustaining society, but also too, Brother Damon, in terms of like, all the different like interactions and relationships and different things that have been built between people, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's something too to talk about. Yeah, and, you that's know, another point. It's no, like, I'm a product of that. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. 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 And, and my children are too. So yeah. like, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, yeah. I think at that this level of integration is kind of hard. It's yeah, been, since that's been the case for hundreds yeah. of years too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think that what what I what I hope for us is. And what I think would be our greatest form of protest right now in 2017 is to start to not focus as much on the pain of the experiences that we've had in this country, but instead build each other up by trying to focus on the beauty that's come from it. So, so many things have been, I'm, I'm half black and half white, and I feel my greatest pride is being a black man in this society because I know that my ancestors could take anything anybody could give them and still work through that. So I think that our greatest form of protest is to look within ourselves and try to teach our community the beauty that we have being black in America. Absolutely. I want to echo something else too. I think we're afraid of being successful. Mm. Mm. I think as much as we complain and moan and protest, it's like, Somebody's got to do the work. Mm -hmm. We can't just wish and hope and pray for it. Like, somebody's physically got to go do it. And again, we get to a certain point, like, you know what? I'm going to fall back. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fall back. You know, I got got them this far. You know, I got to go. I got to go to work today because they're going to fire me. You know, it's just like we we have to do what we need to do because we have obligations in our life. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of us are scared to put themselves on that pedestal to be that target. And you're a target. And you Mm got to be willing to know like yo at any given point they could just end this because i'm trying to actually uplift my people right mm-hmm. and you know if you look at a lot of our leaders and everybody knows you know they, they martin started talking about money they had, they had to get rid of them right it was cool about civil rights and voting right. but like you start talking money it's like ooh, uh-oh. He, done, he, done he got, he got to go he done found out our secret <laughs> yeah <laughs> He found the major key. That's a <laughs> that's a great point, and I think that um, as I'm as I'm looking at your your, your bill, well short as you're you're talking about this, um, it makes me think a lot too about the idea of being successful as a black man. Also, to some extent, is the idea of leaving a lot of people that you grew up with or that you love in the dust, and that is a hurtful feeling right there. Yep. Um, and so, as we're thinking about like build wealth. I wonder how you think we can grow individually mm-hmm. and still look back at maybe some of our brothers who might be stuck in their experiences or in their world um, and, and bring them with us, you know, or at least help Collective. them move themselves forward. It's, they always say it's lonely at the top, 
And it's kind of true because we're not bringing people along, but Mm -hmm. it's really crowded at the bottom. And Mm -hmm. we're happy and content being at the bottom of every, like, economic category, right? It's like, yo, if I learned how to make money doing, I don't know, selling cups, like, if you the homie, yo, you trying to get on this cup business? Like, you need to be the first person I tell about as opposed to going to somebody else. Like, I I think everybody has a hidden talent, right? And whether they know it or not, you have it. And it's, again, any good business needs all these type, types of personalities. You need marketing mm-hmm. people, sales people, you know, you need quiet people, loud people. But you find, you, you all got, <laughs> you got friends. All you got to right. look at your look, look in your cell phone and look at your text thread. Those are the people who you hang out with the most and or communicate with. Those are the people you should, you should be trying to bring along. If you just did, you know, you're, you're a close representation of your five closest friends. Yeah, that's very true. Now, you, everybody's heard that, but it's like, it's true. If all y'all broke, you know, one of you broke, all y'all probably broke. Mm. All, wealthy people, last time I checked, only hang out with wealthy people, except when they do look, volunteer work. You gotta mm. look out for each other. <laughs> except when they're at the gala. Oh, we're helping all the poor kids and the underserved. And, you know, and they're going right back up to the hills in their big old mansion. And you're so right about that. That's why we have to, like, like you said, like, hone in on our, on our given gifts and talents. And even going back to what you said earlier, Michael, about focusing on our joy and like who we are, our resilience and our power. Mm-hmm. Y'all know I'm a musical person, so I automatically thought of joy and rain, <laughs> sunshine and pain. Come on. <laughs> and there's a lyric, because I pulled it up, and the lyric says, hold on, where did it go? Where there's a flower, there's sun and there's rain. So to your point, Michael, about the joy, there's the balance in acknowledging that pain, because mm-hmm. we can't ignore it, but we can't focus on it. Mm. And it's something if we're able to heal ourselves as a people and dig deep and take out all that trauma, take out all that pain and turn it into our joy, t- turn it into a collective movement where we're all on one accord, we're all like coming together, focusing on our different gifts, then we can rise up. And I don't mean to get all mm-hmm. biblical, but it does say my that's a whole other conversation because my religious or spiritual beliefs, they are across the board, okay? People know me like that. I done prayed in mosque and I done prayed in a Buddhist temple and I'll go to church on Sunday. <laughs> but um, in the first Corinthians, it talks about the body of Christ and it talks about each given body part is just as equally important. You can't have the neck without the head. You need the eye, you need the ear, you need the finger, you need the toe. It's all one collective movement. So all of us here, even today when we were setting up shop, Damon set up the mics. You know, Jasmine made sure we got some alcohol. Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> really? well, Thanks, Jasmine. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate you, brother. <laughs> good, good, good looking. I don't mean, hey, I'm just being real here. Like, in terms of like, hey, let's celebrate or whatever. And coming with the, and coming with the financial information as well. Michael coming in with the thought, like the introspective way of looking at things. The different, like, basically, y'all know what I mean here. We're all coming with something particularly different to bring to the table. And if we can learn how to like support and love mm-hmm. each other, we can do that. We gotta love ourselves and heal ourselves though too. So. And celebrate our successes too, because I think that a lot of times we get <laughs> caught up. I mean, understandably, but a lot of yeah. times we get caught up in the struggle that we have as a community. Uh, but we don't spend enough time celebrating our successes so Very that true. we build more confidence in ourselves mm-hmm. and start to, you know, and, and I think that's a huge factor. Because, like y'all said earlier, I can't remember who said it specifically, but uh, everybody absolutely does have a talent. But just because you have a talent doesn't mean that you have the confidence to express that talent. Speak on that. Mm. And I think that, you know, that's something that that runs deep in people. Mm. And I Mm. think that us 
for here, which I feel like um, are are have found a way to express that talent, are blessed, and that we found the situation that allowed us to do that. But a lot of people struggle. It goes way beyond just having an opportunity. But it's it's the confidence and it's the, yeah. the yeah. feeling that I do have something worth expressing and worth uh, going for. Because a lot of times, I mean, obviously, like we said, this is the system is white, and you got to go through a white man or a thousand or a million white men to get to where you're trying to get to and a lot of people are just afraid hmm. because for whatever reason they're afraid and these are people I know you know what I mean this is not hypothetical this is people no, it's real life so like we've had to overcome that so yeah getting back to what I was saying is like celebrating our successes I mean yes. you're doing what you're doing you're doing your built wealth, wealth movement you're working with the kids at college track I'm doing software engineering and other, you know, whatever Amongst else that I'm doing. You a daddy. You a daddy. I'm a daddy. Of, you, know, <laughs> you are a supporter and giver and contributor of life. Yes, <laughs> sir. Most importantly. I'm just, I'm just trying to be my best every day. That's all I'm trying to do, y'all. Uh, but, you know, that's what I'm saying. So, like, when we say we and then a lot mm. of what comes after we is negative, mm. I think that it kind of further pushes us down rather than builds us up. Mm. So I think that we should, you know, balance that Definitely. with the successes that we continue to have because I think that we're seeing a lot, this um, is, especially in the mainstream right now. So. What, what we're doing here, even in this studio, is a success. Because I know for me, as a writer, there's a part of me, I love bringing people together and having them share their stories and also sharing their gifts. It's something mm -hmm. I saw in my own given family. It was something I was brought up around and it's something that I feel is important to give to other people. So all of us even coming here together right now to have this conversation is a success. And to anybody who's listening right now, you are an important person. You do matter. You have worth. You are here. You have a purpose. Any other lie, any other false narrative you've been given, block it delete it it is a lie and throw it back to the pits of hell where it belongs because you do matter because you're here you're alive and you do have a purpose and i think that's what we are all collectively doing in our everyday lives with the students we work with with the our families with everything that we do so i completely agree with the whole um celebrating our successes and also looking at protests in so many different ways because I'm going to put, you know, we're going to have a little brag moment. Two years ago today, <laughs> with Don't Even Trip Productions, we were on stage. Damon, who is a writer, actor, Man. graphic designer, social engineer. Well, you know, software engineer. I just like to have fun. Social engineer sound good. I know, that sounds good. Yes, that's the title. <laughs> that's right? my next venture. We yeah. <laughs> and we were on stage telling a story about how does our generation handle social activism? That's it. And we were making references to the Black Panther mm. movement. And we were educating people in Walnut <laughs> Creek about the Black Panthers. Mm. And we had a talk back. And we donated part of our proceeds to the Ella Baker Center. And that movement within itself, our youngest actress, Jemaya, was eight years old. That built confidence for her. Mm. That built purpose for her. So it's crazy to look back on that because in that moment we realized protest isn't just holding up a sign. Oh, I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Protest isn't just holding up a sign, but it's coming together like we're doing right here. Mm -hmm. It's writing an article. It's talking with your child. It's donating your time, your energy. There's so many different ways that we can protest against this system. Mm -hmm. I believe in using art and our voices, and I also believe in healing. Absolutely. And that's my soapbox. <laughs> what, I, <laughs> what I like a lot about celebrating success, too, is that we're also mm. celebrating the journey. Mm. And Absolutely. 
I think that it's really important for us, like we were talking about with protests earlier in the conversation, in having clear objectives in what we are trying to protest and what we are looking for. And so when you celebrate the successes of our ancestors, of ourselves, we are also celebrating the process that we went through to get to that success. Mm -hmm. And I think that is also mm -hmm. something that is really important to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you guys want to say on this topic? Because we are just about, we're about to go into the next part of the show where we're going to talk to Jasper specifically about Build Wealth. These are all interchangeable topics. But is there any other like lasting thoughts or opinions in terms of um, social protest? Because what I'm gathering, there's a consensus amongst us where we're recognizing it takes a collective unit it takes celebrating our successes as well as our celebrating our journeys. And there's still a lot of work to be done and we do have to show up in multiple ways. But is there any other like thoughts on this topic that anybody would like to offer before we move on to build wealth? Just one quick one. Yeah. Imagine if our kids grew up in the next generation and the the messaging that they heard was around how successful we are mm. and how much we are capable of Amen. and how far we've come and how we came through one of the most hellish experiences that a person could be put through mm -hmm. and how far we've come since then. Imagine if that was their messaging and not how we're still being put down, how mm -hmm. the cops are killing us, how mm -hmm. we don't have opportunity in the world. Just imagine just that messaging changing mm -hmm. and what that would do to the future generations. I think it would be very powerful. When you yeah. said that, I thought of Nas, imagine that. Hmm. Imagine that. All we need is one mic, oh, one dream, <laughs> one imagination. Bring it life. I like that. Can we snap it up for an imagining our future generation knowing that we have so much to bring, so much to offer, and that they're going to carry that torch and live in that? Can we snap mm -hmm. it up for that? Amen. Snap it up. Can we do a soul? Let's do a one, two, three soul clap. <laughs> one, two, three. We collective, no, collective. No, we're trying to get. Uh, hey, you know what? I didn't even know what that oh, was. Uh, <laughs> real quick, he, he looked. I was like, he don't know. I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Yes. There it is. Um, real quickly, I want to add too. Okay, I had so, a, I had a mentor of mine who also um, looked me dead in my eye and told me that I had the responsibility to make sure that I was carrying the torch forward. Mm. And I also want our young people to know um, we want to celebrate our successes and we want to celebrate our beauty, but we also want to know that we are responsible for keeping this movement moving forward. Thank Absolutely. you. Yes. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Jasper? No, I'm good. All right. We're going to go ahead and segue into, it's all interchangeable here, but we definitely want to give time because this is the part of the show where it's um, highlighted as uh, take root and give back. So, you know, the Seed You Sow podcast, which you're listening to right now, and all these different symbolisms behind the seed. That was our seed of the day, talking about protest. Now we're going to take root and give back. So this is the part of the show where we, where we highlight different entrepreneurs, activists, um, musicians, just anybody who's in the world right now who's taking the seed that they've been given and they're putting it back out there. So we have Jasper Smith with us, who's already been in conversation. His organization, Build Wealth. Um, little background here. I met Jasper about two months ago yeah. through a mutual friend named Micah. Shout out to Micah. She's good people. A volunteer to College Track, still does. Mm -hmm. um, met him through my good friend Micah, and he was wearing this shirt called Build Wealth. I said, well, tell me about this Build Wealth. I had the hat on, too. Yeah, you know, branding <laughs> himself. 
And I'm gonna give you guys a chance to hear from him, but I think I already said this earlier and I'll reiterate it. I just love it because it's debunking that myth of getting rich and building wealth, which will really help our community. But go ahead, um, Jasper, and tell us about your organization, Build Wealth. So this whole idea was actually conceived after I hadn't gotten fired from a position. Mm. And sometimes people say when you're down, that's when you have, like, you can get quiet because you ain't got nowhere to go. So I was just chilling. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I had been in financial services. I've been in financial services my entire, like, professional career. And I looked at, you know, as an advisor, you know, there's a product that has to be sold to make a commission, so on and so forth. And I looked at the majority of the people I had a chance to interact with, and it still happens in my, in my current work now, most people are so focused on the solution, but they haven't thought about what they actually want to achieve. Mm. You know, society or your friends, family, coworkers are always just giving you all this information. And you're like, well, I don't know how it fits into to my plan. And the, the reason is, is nobody has a plan, mm. right? It's just, again, somebody told me I should do this. It's like people who, oh, I need to buy a house. I'm like, okay, why you want to buy a house? And they, they can't give me a good enough explanation. I'm like, so because society tells you you need to get a house and a nice car, that validates you as a, an adult? Mm. You know, so it was, it was just challenging all these different things. But I looked at, okay, one, everybody needs a plan. And, and a plan doesn't have to be robust. I mean, I'm talking, it could be basic, something you wrote on a napkin, like, hey, I'm going to save $2. Mm. That's a plan. Right. You, wrote it, you wrote it down, so now there's a visual. Mm. Now you got to commit to do it, right? And mm. so what I find is this whole movement, again, getting people comfortable. It's going to, I'll be long gone before we still, before we ever get comfortable, but the, the folks that I touch, I got to get them more comfortable talking about money and working on themselves and their financial situation, but also their friends and their family and community. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, a lot of people say, well, it used to be, well, we, we as the parents are talking money, this is grown folks talks, so like get out the room. Wow. But you need to include your kids in the conversation. Absolutely. And if you look at one of those, well, you know, I'll expose them to this later. It's like, no, they need to see this now. Mm-hmm. They need to understand the value of a dollar because it's running everything that they do. Mm-hmm. And getting people comfortable. That's it. If I can get you just comfortable, you'll do something. And, and the whole part, the point is, maybe they don't come to me for the guidance, but maybe you go somewhere, right? right? I, I read a lot and I look at a lot of articles. I mean, it, there's so much information. It's just we, we, we don't know how to process that information and actually take action on it. Mm-hmm. And it, it bothers me that money isn't the end all be all, but damn, if you in this country, <laughs> you need it. Mm-hmm. You right. need it. Yeah. It, it yeah. runs. It, it works for you. It, mm-hmm. uh, it, and we don't know the language. It's another language that we can't speak. Mm-hmm. And yet we touch it all the time. We have it on, it was mostly virtual. Now I just hit a button and sent. Like, mm-hmm. you know, kids don't know how to write checks. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, just hit a button and money's right. there. So it's all these basic things. But if I'm uncomfortable talking about it, how can I share that? And this it, isn't just about money. I mean, you think about like health. If I always eat bad and, you know, I'm unhealthy, your kids and family, they watching you. Mm-hmm. You didn't just end up big. There was a there was a process. There was a plan. I'm a plan <laughs> to eat today, uh, an hour, and an hour after that, I'm not going to exercise. I'm not going to drink water. Yeah. And the same thing with your finances that everybody, you got to, you, you were born, you learn how to crawl, then you learn how to walk, and then you learn how to run. Mm. The same applies with your financial plans. I don't care how old you are, how educated you are. I just stop judging the, the book by its cover. Mm. I assume you don't know anything about money. Or maybe you know a little bit, and maybe I can help you validate it. Mm. But I, I, I always was just thrown off when I would say, like, a Ph.D. or these people with multiple master's degrees. I'm like, God, they're so, they're so smart. Right. And you're like, hey, let me, t- let me talk about credit. And like, ooh, I don't know nothing about it. Because, mm. again, in our system, we are taught to get a job, be the employee. My company would take care of my retirement and other things. Yeah. The game has changed. You got to take 
it, you got to take your own personal finances like serious. It's yeah. up to you to decide, you know, your future financial outcome. Yeah, you leave the chance. You want to pray, hope, and wish on it. Good luck. Yeah. Um, I think we just got to start, you know, finding out where, what we need to do, what we want to do. There's something. There's a solution out there for you, and then just get it done. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So what, um, so like operationally, what does your billboard movement look like? Yeah. Uh, like what, what types of things do you offer? What are you doing? Yeah. I got a lot in the pipeline. Okay. Um, I think starting out, I've been doing just some, some solo work with, with individuals where mm-hmm. they need to contact me. We can have just, you know, a one-off discussion. Um, I can do a virtual session, so you might not be here in the Bay Area. You know, a lot of my friends are on the East Coast, so scheduling a phone call, right? Maybe it's maybe it's a virtual meeting. Um, I love doing workshops, so I have a couple. You know, I'm do, I'm doing one actually in Durham next month, so I'm going home because I actually care about my community too, and I know Thank you. I understand that now. Like I'll be 32 in in a, in a few days, and I'm like. All right, we too old to not have our money right. And I'm watching social media. You just watch to see what your friends do. You're like, I wonder how they paid for that. I Mm. wonder, did they use just a credit card and not pay off the balance when they got back? Or they out here, you know, buying rounds at the bar. That was cool when you was in your 20s. Be 30 now. You still doing that? Mm. (laughs) Hopefully you can afford it because I don't want you to not spend. Like, I give people, spend your money. Mm. I work too damn hard to not enjoy my life. But you also need to save and invest and get some insurance. And Mm. insurance is a whole, that that's... There's a lot up under that too, but again, you gotta have some coverage, gotta save some, you gotta invest some. How do you think, and Michael was talking about this earlier before we went on air, in terms of the workshops you're doing, the consulting and everything that you're, the conversations you're starting with people about thinking more critically about money and being financially literate. Michael brought up about like the young people, our students, people who come from communities where money to them is not even scarce, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do you, what is like your thought process around getting to those particular communities that are just in lack altogether? Mm. Mm-hmm. You do need to have some money. So, you know, <laughs> that, that, is, that is a big piece. So whether it's right. going to be getting a job and having gainful employment or starting your own business, mm. that's it. That's your first priority. So, you know, I've had a lot of clients, and I used to do, like, credit counts. I still do credit. I mean, so they would come to me with, like, credit issues. And they're like, oh, I don't have a job, but I don't worry about paying somebody this money. I said, if you don't have a job and aren't making any money, how are you going to pay them? How are you going to pay off these creditors? Mm-hmm. Your priority. Why are you worried about money that's already going out your pocket when you don't have none coming in? Right. Mm-hmm. I need you to start with step one. Mm-hmm. Get a job. Mm-hmm. Sell a product, do get money. Right. <laughs> then we'll pay them back. Right. So it's, it's like, yo, we again, we're not prioritizing these things, right? So these these communities, these underserved, whatever you know, adjud- however you want to describe these communities, low income, right? You know, people, I know. <laughs> it hurts my heart, and I know the parents. You, you try the best you can. I think we do a little bit more. Like I think we. I'll talk to people about like providing this type of education for their kids. Like, well, I put food on they food on the table and clothes on their back and a roof. I said, you supposed to do that. You had a kid. Like, you want a cookie for like doing what you're supposed to do as a parent? I'm sorry. More is expected of you. Mm-hmm. You just brought somebody in who didn't want to be here. Yeah. And so we're like, well, I can't afford you gotta find out. I, I said, you know, we we love these racks to riches story because they're incredible because all they did was change the way they thought. That's it. Mm-hmm. And so Michael brought it up. You got to cut some people out. Yeah. 
Yeah, if your friends ain't trying to go where you're going, they ain't your friends. If well, they're not I'm supporting about the students you, or people that like the people it, you're serving, it, it, not it, like per se like friends and stuff. Well, it's it's the same with youth, right? Because a lot of friends, you, you you have your cliques, right? So you have the kid who may have it a little bit easier than some of the others, and they'll live a certain lifestyle. So the kids who can't afford, like, oh, I need those new shoes because Michael got them shoes, right? Mm. And you know, good and well, you got to still to get them shoes, right. or you got to yeah. get a job, right? And so in, in their minds, I'm trying to under, get them to understand that it's not necessarily about what people have, because just because they show you they have it doesn't mean they actually have it, right? Mm-hmm. So for kids, it's one, find a way, find out how you're going to make this money. And you have to get educated first. Okay. So you, it's not just going to fall out the sky. You know, mm-hmm. the lottery is the poor man's game. So, you know, good luck on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but showing them like, hey, if you learn these few things about our financial system, when you do get that internship, when you get that job, here's how you don't screw it up. Right. And, and some of them may still screw it up. So I tell my That's personal funny. story about how I blew some money. Right. I don't really want to share because it it's just a pain point. Well, but That's <laughs> really important for everything that we're talking about. So let's hear it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> So I feel compelled to. I, so it's real. So every time I, I talk to my students, I talk about I was a kid who I didn't struggle, right? My, I, I'm a... Parents got out the hood, you know, educated. We had college funds, that kind of thing. So my job was, like, simple. Like, go to school. Don't get no girl swole. Um, don't get arrested. That's <laughs> what my daddy told me. So, you know, it was basic rules. And so um, I graduated college with no debt. And, you know, I had about $25,000 left in my college account that I didn't spend. I stayed in-state. I had a baseball scholarship. I had academic money. Uh, as a graduation gift, my father set me up with his financial planner, dropped 5000 in a couple of mutual funds. I didn't know what the hell mutual funds were, but I was like, you couldn't tell me I wasn't balling. Right. Yeah. I was balling. <laughs> I was worth 30000 right out. I was, what, 21? Graduated 21, worth 30000 had my job. I moved from Durham to Philly. And so I was like, I never lived in a big city. So y'all know what's around Philly geographically? Yes, I do. So I, I, I was <laughs> skiing and snowboarding to Pocono. That's New York. That's Atlantic City. D.C., Baltimore, yeah. and I was driving home. I had a girl at the time, so I was driving home to see her, and it's like, wow, I wasn't even thinking about, like, I only made, I was making $50,000 a year, right. and I thought I was balling. Mm. <laughs> and y'all know where that 30000 went? Down the drain. I got some great stories. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell those kids, because I think all these kids, because of social media now, they think mm. that money's always the answer. I'm like, that money will eat you alive because you don't know what to do with it. Mm. And I challenge my kids every time. I do this for every youth workshop. I, I say, what's a lot of money to you? And I let them like come to a consensus about how much is a lot of money. And I write it on the board, and I say, what would you do with it? Now, I hate, I hate to tell you all this story. So... All the brown kids and the, you know, kids of color, it's always spending, Mm -hmm. spending, spending, and spending. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be that one little Asian kid who don't say much during the whole time. Like, while everybody else acting up, the little Asian kid is sitting there. And it's happened at least six different times. The Asian kid will say, because, you know, they're not going to just raise their hands like, excuse me, I I think you have an opinion, too. So kind of getting them out of their shell because they're not vocal by nature. They're really, you know, quiet. And I was like, what would you do with it? I'm going to open a restaurant. I'm going to be a landlord. I'm going to buy some real estate. And it's always those three. And it's always, there it is, is what they see. So they're intentional about handing down that that system of here's what we do. 
We go by the building. Yep. And then and so and all the little kids of color were laughing. He was like, I'm gonna go own a restaurant. I was like, Man, I love Chinese food. Right. And I spent a lot of my money there. So like all y'all are gonna be eating at his restaurant, her restaurant. And and all the kids, they always laugh. All the kids is like, they don't get it, but it's like y'all have already been programmed to just blow your money. Man. That's it. Yep, man. And it's always the Asian kids like, I'm gonna go buy some real estate. I'm like, my God. Yeah. Cause they are what they see. They see their family at the restaurant. They see their parents taking the money from all the, the tenants who live in their apartment building. Right. Whereas is is for kids of color is I got these new shoes, mommy got a new car, daddy got this, and it's mm-hmm. always just stuff. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that goes uh, Oh, go ahead. I think to yeah. some extent you just uh answered this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But uh I'm not going to lie, before I got on this podcast, I didn't want to come on here and look stupid, so I did some research. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and, and I read an article about you, and it talked about, I can't remember the exact amount of hours that you said you spent on just recreation per week, um, but it was a good amount. And I think that as a black man, and I experienced this through other um, black people that I work with, mm-hmm. that we think that we just gotta grind harder than everybody to get out of our struggle. And so I wanna hear you um, answer like, how do you give yourself breaks on your journey to build wealth? Um, And how do you, like, how do you, how do you find a balance between overwork and then building health, building wealth, excuse me? It's, uh, there's a balance that we're all, we all have the same amount of hours in the day. And here's where, I, so a lot of the reading I've read about, you need to know what the wealthy people are thinking. So I read these millionaire books, like Millionaire Mind, Millionaire mm-hmm. Next Door. I mean, they're, they're basic concepts where these these professors have done all these studies, and you're like, well, what makes them different? They're not the, the smartest students. A lot of them are first generation. So they, they didn't have the family example. So like these kids who are in the hood, I'm like, yo, you can be the first. Do you want to make history for you and your family and your hood? So it's almost like you got to challenge the kids, again, to program them to think they can do big things. That's it. Mm-hmm. And along the way, yo, you better learn this money game or else all that success and fame that you want, it's going to get taken from you just like that. Absolutely. You know, so I, it's that programming early on. And I'm like, yo, if they can just get this now. Like, that's the seed I try to plant with all these kids. And when you have a plan, you know, you 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 can manage your time more effectively. That's it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I work hard. I play hard. I rest. I work out. And again, last time I checked, billionaires take vacations, right. billionaires have families, and billionaires are billionaires because they run a successful business or, or businesses. Mm. It, generally, the wealthiest people aren't nine to fivers. Exactly. They're all entrepreneurs. Mm. Pick your vocation, find out what makes you go, and you can find a way to make money off of it. Now, you might have to do some other things, right? So I don't want to deter kids when they're like, oh, I want to be, I hate doing this. Too. I don't want to kill a kid's dream because they want to be like an art major. Because art is great. It's beautiful, right? It, it, it's a different way of thinking. Your brain operates different from somebody who doesn't really understand art. Mm-hmm. But, you know, are you the next Picasso? Um, you know, are you the next great artist where, you know, your friends might blow up and be successful and they might buy your art. And then when you're at the house party, like, oh, who made that painting? My homie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you could be. You could be. Someone has to be the next Picasso. Right. Hmm. And, and so, and, and this is what... turn into graphic designers and a bunch of other things. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> art makers turn into film But to be thinking about They it, do. You know? They start businesses. But to be conscious of that you they know, do. transition. They right. do. And so, so as a parent... Well, and, and here's how we pay it forward to our kids. So, you got two kids. Right. And you you know a lot about them, about potentially where they may go. And what the oldest is five, right? The oldest is five. You know, you, you, you're you learning about their personality first thing because you're seeing Absolutely. it be developed. Absolutely. So if you know That's good and well. If, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out to Amar. Right. 
But think, think of how we change the narrative. So let's say you have a newborn mm-hmm. and you start a, a, an account. It could be a college account, it could be a bank account. It could be something that you're going to put away money for the long haul, right? Right. And let's say your kid, you know, is not college material. Why would you waste all that money and get loans and do all this and go through all this stress for something that you know they're not going to appreciate mm-hmm. versus I'm going to use this money to let them go to a trade school, an art school, something that's going to like speak to their fancy. They need that to fulfill them, right? Mm-hmm. I meet so many retirees who are like, oh, I can't wait to retire so I can start about start my, my, my second career, what I was really mm-hmm. passionate about. Right. Happen, dude, I meet... So, it's the same thing. I wish I would have done this. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents couldn't afford this, so I had to get this job so I could pay. And, you know, it was it was more like the parents were like, well, I couldn't do it, so I want my kid to do it. But your kid didn't want to do it. Yeah. And so they end up your quitting their job, and people are like, why does, like, you know, like Chappelle just quit? He needed to quit. Yeah. Right. And he came back big, and they still love him. Mm-hmm. And I wish he would do, you know, another season of Chappelle show, but it's like, you <laughs> saw that live. So yeah. if kids yeah. if kids only follow pop culture or athletes, like, just watch the ones who sustain themselves over the long haul versus mm-hmm. the ones who are like a one-hit wonder. Right. If we could just get the kids to focus on that because social media is hot, right. I mean, look at a Jay-Z. He's mm-hmm. been in the game for a minute. Exactly. Right? You got to look at people they can relate to, and, and when talking to the kids, it's like, well... Emulate the people who actually are still around and doing it. Mm. Not the ones you know about and they were hot last year and they're gone. They're just a meme now, right? Mm. But it's that programming. Right. And I think... I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. Um, I I think that the challenge that we face is obviously you have this education, you have the background, you got the foundation Mm -hmm. that you need, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But a lot of the kids that you're talking about don't have that. So your presence is the only presence that they have that has that information. And then they go back home and they see all the other stuff that they was already used to. So how do we do it in a systematic way that we actually change the psychology of the community around some of these concepts, whether it be what you're talking about or what we were talking about earlier, just how do we really tap into the psychology of the community and change that? Yep, so... It's probably never gonna happen. Right. But Wait, no. No, 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 no. no, no. We, I mean, we, we, hold on. we can't we cannot. I'm sorry. We cannot say never. We can't be we that can, definitive. We, can. we cannot though. I'm gonna well, be. We, we are the man I'm sorry, I'm we're the manifest of the we're the manifestors of our reality. And we just said earlier that we ima- <laughs> okay. we're imagining a different generation for our future, for our for your current children, for any of our current future children, for all of us sitting here. We can't say never. That, that's okay, fair. Universally, so, never though. Okay, so so hold on, hold on. <laughs> I should, hold on right, so, so, I, I'll say this. <laughs> the way I'm gonna resp- I'm gonna take the pessimistic view on this one. Can we be a realistic optimist. I'm optimistic be by realistic far. Be realistic and be optimistic. Okay, go, just stay Okay, I mean, everything was impossible at one point. Right, right, right. right. So, so here's the thing, right? There's so, a place I, I think we can. There is a place. I say we we say these things because I want somebody to prove me wrong. Right. So it, I'm there, gonna be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. I'm then. That Let them so, 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 <laughs> and that's what you need, right? You need somebody to say, "I believe it can happen," and mm-hmm. then that's when you get creativity, innovation. That's what happens with tech, right? We in the bay. Somebody's like, "I don't think it can happen," and then it happens, mm-hmm. right? So, how we change that? It needs to be in our school system. Now, 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 again, that's why I say never, because you think about, again, maybe not in my generation, two or three. Until we get financial literacy into our school system, we always going to have this issue. Mm-hmm. But think about it. And here's why we're going to have it. And the reason I say never, uh, this country was, again, built on the school of thought of capitalism. I need to withhold some information so I can do better than you. Right. And if you figured out good, good, I'm glad you did, but I'm, a, I'm not going to tell you right away. Yeah. I'm going to withhold some information so therefore I can continue to prosper. Mm. 
Agreed. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, our school of thought. Again, you changed no, our school of thought. So, Could you get? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, finish up your thought. You got to get into the government, but we're 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 not the ones making these decisions, right? Mm. So I think as much as we care on on a, a local level, maybe state. I mean, you have certain communities. Right. You know, there there's private schools, there's charter schools that can focus and target. So like, you know, there are high schools that have a certain focus of oh, we're going to be an engineering school, we're going to be a technology, we're going to be a trade school. But again, getting that financial, like, that financial literacy just has to be embedded into our system. Agreed. And that is correct in terms of, you brought up a good point. The system itself is not here to benefit us. The system is built to bring us down. That's why we have young people looking to buy Jordans, looking to buy the different whatever's hot, whatever's out there, as opposed to investing. It's all within the culture. And everything you were bringing up, David, that's exactly what I was thinking. I said, yeah, how do we get into the psychology? How do we get into the fabric? And I agree, it is through education. It's through the culture and the the homes. And I think over time, yes, right now, in the given situation, this is what we're up against. And that's why going back to that black fugitive state of thought is going to take some form of radical change, some form of rebelling against the given system that never had our best interest to begin with at all. And educating ourselves and our communities and our children to know that so we can better equip them for that so that moment in time will come where we are all financially literate, emotionally literate, yeah. spiritually literate, and just more holistically whole. Yeah, so, so two points. So like the youth and your point of how we really change the narrative, we have to keep challenging our kids to challenge their parents. And the kid, so I've done my teaching at, at this nonprofit, Game Theory Academy. I love the program. And I challenge my kids to go home and share what we talk about in class with their parents. And a lot of kids are like, well, you know, they're the mom, they're the dad. I'm like, so what? Can you be the person that's, that's bold enough to go home and call them out? So uh, this is on my most recent class. We were talking about credit. And I explained credit, how I never had, I, like, I, I told them the story. My mom told me I've never had bad credit. It was one story, 10 minutes long. The challenge I set to my students, and they're all, um, what, high schoolers? Yeah, high schoolers. So I had one, I had three brave students. One, he texted his mom. She, you know, she responded back. I was like, cool, you're good. One of them went home. Mom shut him down. And before I I let class go, I said, if your parents shut you down, that means they credit Jack. And they all (laughs) laughed. And I said, watch, whoever gets shut down by their mom or dad or guardian, I said, that means they credit Jack because they're afraid to talk about it. And fear hinders us mm-hmm. and so that was the one and so i was like all right try this try this next tag i said go back and ask why are you afraid to talk about your credit with me mama shut them down again wow. so i was like look, i commend you for even going home and asking because now your mom just might try to do it she might she still might not talk to you about it because you're the kid but he felt so empowered that he was like i'm like the adult in the situation mm-hmm. and he was a he was a talented latino kid. he was bright and i'm like dude you about to kill it in life mm-hmm. but if you don't understand this money game like your family's never gonna get it mm-hmm. and the fact that your mom is shutting you down you're gonna have to be willing to take that stand and be bold mm-hmm. because this is very important and then the other student he challenged his dad his dad um didn't shut him down his dad mm-hmm. actually admitted he admitted that he hadn't checked his credit in three years, and the fact that his that you know the fact that he was, his son was asking him about his credit, he was like, "I've avoided it on purpose because I've been afraid." Mm. And he was like, "You know, my dad said he's gonna." And I showed him, I told him like all these apps he can use, and he was like, "My dad's gonna allow me to help him fix his credit." Wow. And I was like, "I saved one. Right. I can't say the whole word, but that That's it. the yeah. fact that his dad 
the adult, because adults are already screwed up. We've, we've been around too long. We're kind of stuck in our ways. Adults are very hard. When I'm in these workshops, it's tough to break down that barrier because mm-hmm. everybody in a financial workshop walks in with their bag of, we'll just call it stuff. You got your issues. I got baggage. Yep, and I'm like, everybody's got a bag. It's just who's willing to open that bag up and go in there. Mm-hmm. And most adults aren't when their kids call them out. Yeah, and it's tough. Right. But these kids, again, you, again, you empower them to do that. Just think about other things they're going to do in their life when they're like, you know, this don't, this don't seem right. They mm-hmm. just might challenge the authority, a.k.a. protest, right? right. Mm. That was peaceful. He just went home and answered that one question. That was why a protest. protest? <laughs> That's all, I, 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 that was a protest. He was like, yo, why is your credit not good? And he was like, I've been afraid to look at it. There you go. Mm-hmm. And, you know... That, that's <laughs> I mean, but this is, it's doable if people are just willing to talk, but they're not. Again, this whole Build Wealth movement, a lot more stuff down coming down the pipeline. It's just, I got to get people to talk about it. Yeah. That's it. If I can get y'all to talk about it and not catch feelings, because in my workshops, oh, I'll call you out. Say mm. something reckless, I'm be like, that's dumb. You get broken fights from your friend. You know, who told you that? Was it somebody wealthy? Did you read it on, was that in a book? Is that on TV? I th- mm-hmm. think it's important, too, as you were mentioning about, like, adults being stuck in their ways, mm-hmm. which, as we know, because we've come across that um, with our own parents, our own situations. Now that we are in our adult life, I am two weeks shy of my Jesus year, about to be 33. <laughs> and uh, I am an adult. <laughs> and we we have bills to pay. We mm-hmm. are Our music is dated. Hey, we can, we've our been here for three dated. decades. We're the old school channel now. Right, wait, no. <laughs> so as adults all sitting here, we should challenge ourselves to always be progressive mm-hmm. and always stay open to learning because I that, that is my biggest fear, to be a person. Like, I don't want to be 42 with the mindset I had when I was 22. Mm-hmm. So we have to lead that example for our future generation yep. and not yep. make sure we're stuck in our way. So the same way we're teaching them stuff, they can teach us stuff too. Yeah. So Absolutely. we are going to be transitioning soon to our next segment. But Jasper, you've given us so much like gems and jewels mm-hmm. and Absolutely. precious this knowledge of just <laughs> everything. And I'm going to continue to tap into your brain. Mm-hmm. But, um, tell them where they can find you, brother. Exa- yeah, please. please tell us where you can find, a- find us, find you. <laughs> Um, and we're also curious to know what is your vision for mm-hmm. Build Wealth in the next five to ten years? And I'm just very thankful that you're taking this step to start these conversations because mm-hmm. that's where it really begins, like mm-hmm. just talking about it. But go ahead. Yeah. So uh, personal, t- uh, you can find me Mr. Underscore, Mr. Underscore Jasper Underscore Smith. That's Instagram. That's also on Twitter. Um, Facebook, Jasper Smith. There might be quite a few, but I went to North Carolina, A and T. You know, HBCU shout out. You know, um, <laughs> that's a topic to talk yeah. about. <laughs> um, the Bill Wealth movement. We have an Instagram page and Facebook fan page, but it's still in its infancy stage. So I'm not really doing a lot by way. I have some some partners I'm working with to uh, to really get that really going. So I've been posting some different stuff on Instagram. So it's at the Build Wealth Movement. Okay. Um, so you know, as of late, I've been doing these Build Wealth tips for the day. And people, I say, well, I want some free advice. I've been giving it for the last couple of weeks, so just follow me. Oh, and, I am following you right now about the volume. Yeah, so, <laughs> so right, so, you, you know, because we always want free stuff. And then, you know, uh, I think, uh, I can't remember which one of y'all said it, but you were like, well, our kids don't have access. Last time I checked, everybody in the hood got a phone. Mm-hmm. There's your computer. There's your free, and they hang out at coffee shops and places with free Wi-Fi. The te- whatever you, wherever you hang out generally for kids, there's Wi-Fi and they got cell phones. But what they doing? Watching social media. And I talked to them about how social media is a business. So I'm not saying you, you know, you've got to use this to your advantage. But just know there's always a business behind everything that we're doing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm giving out these tips and pointers. But the reality is, are you 
interested in changing your financial outcome or outlook or future? Or are you just, are you going to commit to it? Yeah. If you're interested, you won't do anything. And the world is going to keep passing you by and time will keep going. Mm -hmm. If you're committed, you're going to take some action. Maybe not to, you know, you should do something tonight. Go home and be like, man, what is it I really want to do? You did something. Pat yourself on the back. You did good. You started. Right? So as as I think long term, um, I definitely want to do workshops all across the country, so I yeah. want to start building. I got, I got a couple of cities I'm gonna be targeting: uh, L.A., Houston, Atlanta, Great. D.M.V. You know, I got I'm doing this one in Durham next month. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Bay Area, of course. But just showing up and say, look, I'm just the guy who's been in the game for a little bit. And I, my, my little, you know, like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a financial concierge, right? Like a concierge knows a lot, right. and maybe you take what you need, what you don't. But I'm going to give you a lot of good stuff. And maybe you needed what I said in the first hour. You needed what I said in the middle. And you might be like, well, I just got a contact and that's all I needed, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, they're the do-it-yourselfers who are going to actually read and go do it. Mm-hmm. There's somebody who's like, I'm not really sure, but I might need Jasper or somebody later. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there's somebody who's straight out, I'm, you know, I'm good. Just give me, like, I'm a, I got this. I, you know, I, I, maybe I need some hand-holding. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just not that discipline enough to do it myself so I want to continue to build a team and I I network ferociously a lot with other financial services professionals so you know I I don't necessarily want to sell any products you're you're buying me as the expert right but I want to continue to connect with different professionals so if I'm in your city and you need it pick a product or a solution and here's somebody I know or here's somebody who's at the event and just say you know you can't say I didn't know anybody that would help me and so I've been personally challenging my friends because I've been away for so long it's just if at this point, I, again, I'll be 32 in a, in a couple in a couple of days, and I'm like, if you know me for this long and your money ain't right, shame on you. Mm. Shame on you for being too afraid to tell me. And I've had a few friends who have told me, but they're still just interested, right? They're not committed because we ain't done nothing. Right. And you know, I, I, I assume you done something, but eight out of ten you usually don't. If they say I need to holler at you, I'm like, you know my number. Yeah. You, you see me posting stuff. Right. I want to throw in there yeah. too that like. That ability to admit to your friends and your loved ones mm-hmm. that you need the help is where true strength revive, yes. resides, you know? So that that is real strength right there to look at another black man and be like, man, I'm struggling. Mm. I need you to look out for me, you know? Yeah, give it to that pride. You, you do, you, mm-hmm. you have, and I think that's what helped me do what I do now. I became vulnerable. And so mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur and living 3,000 miles away from my family and friends, you know, I needed some help. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I said I needed help, you know, I'm, again, I don't know what everybody believes in. The universe has a way of just working it out. Mm. Alchemist. You know, so, like, <laughs> I told somebody I need some help. I got it the next day or I got it in yep. a week. And slowly, mm-hmm. but she like, you know, Jasper's a good dude. He, again, he, he ain't done nothing reckless so that we don't want to support him. Yeah. But he fell on some, everybody's going to go through some struggles. And, I, you know, I'm not saying I won't have any future. Uh, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Yeah. But I think about, like, yo, if I got, if I got a chance to fight today, did I improve my situation a little bit today while I was awake? Mm-hmm. And did I affect change in somebody else's life? Yes. And that's what the movement is about. So, again, you may come to one workshop, but if you go home and tell a friend, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. I affected yeah. two people, not just one. That's mm-hmm. what it's about, right. about the quality. That's it. Not the quantity. And I appreciate you talking about being vulnerable <laughs> as a strength and reaching out for that help. Because there is a saying, nobody came out and cut their own umbilical cord. 
<laughs> and then also, too, <laughs> going in terms of, like, going back to the young people, there's a quote that says, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. Mm-hmm. But we do have to educate our young people how to use these tools. Mm. And so we appreciate you, Brother Jasper. Appreciate we appreciate you starting the conversation, starting the movement. And I see over time you having a whole team of individuals who are just like you leading workshops, mm-hmm. um, going to different cities, going into different schools, and to the point where it infiltrates in the schools and it is in our actual systems, it is in our actual households, and it is no longer a movement, it is our norm. Mm. That is possible. That, yeah, I agree. I agree. Preach, sister. Pablo Picasso says anything you can imagine is real. Going back to what you said, Damon, imagine that. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go into the final segment of our show because we're only here for an hour and a half. We're sticking to schedule, trying our best to, even though we did start about 30 minutes late. But it's okay. It's okay. We, you know, we, we go with the flow. The third part of our show, which you can always expect every time you tune in, is the segment called Reading is Good for the Soil, a.k.a. Your Mind. We are living in a day and age where people are reacting. People are just posting things. They're not checking their facts. They're just going off this whole, like, reaction-based culture. And so we definitely here want to promote critical thought. We definitely want to promote people to not just go off what somebody tells them, but go look it up yourself. I mean, even you're listening to us right now. Don't take everything we say at face value, even though we did cite our sources. (laughs) However, you should take the time to look it up and go on your own intellectual journey for all the information we're offering you. So each episode, you can always expect for us to highlight two different books to encourage you to read. Um, The two books we are highlighting this week are Ta-Nehisi Coates. I like that name, Ta-Nehisi. It sounds yeah. like, right? And shout out to Damon, who's sitting next to me, for, hey, we should read this book. You read this book? He kept saying, you gonna read this book? You should read this book. And then I read the book, and it's a great book, and it's called Between the World and I Me. Told you. Yeah, and I'm gonna let Damon speak to this book. Um, so this is one book. We'll post it, too, on our Facebook page and all other social media outlets so you can look it up. But Ta-Nehisi Coates, great book, Between the World and Me, speaking about um, everything we're talking about right now, talking about and it's basically discussing it in a frame of his own personal experience and how he's looking at it through the world through his lens as a black man speaking directly to his son hmm. um and then james baldwin it's a classic book the fire next time which i reread read re, wait hold on reread read that's it's it. read reread is, you, that's re-read the, is the proper term okay reread read it before yes re-read, re-read for the second time um and when i read tiny heasy coats i thought of this book because i feel like you could put them in conversation with each other mm-hmm. i definitely feel like he was inspired by that oh definitely. yes and it's yeah. funny because t- um tony morrison states on the back of tiny heasy's book i've been wondering who might fill the intellectual void that plagued me after james baldwin died clearly it is tiny heasy coats the language of Between the World and Me, like Coates' journey, is visceral, eloquent, and beautifully redemptive. It is an examination of the hazards and hopes of black male life. It, life is profound as re- relevatory. This is required reading, and we love Toni Morrison. We need to read some of her books. Ooh, she's good. So that's what she said about Tony Coates' book. And then James Baldwin, The Fire Next Time, putting in conversation the perspective as a black male um, looking at things, the beginning of the book, it's a letter to his nephew, 
and then he's talking about the racial framing of America in the 60s, which is crazy reading this book because it's still relevant to mm. today. And it feels like, are we marching? Are we marching in circles? Oh, oh my mm. gosh. Mm. Two great books. Take the time to read them. Um, others, my co-hosts, my peoples in the studio, what do you guys have to say about these great books that we're highlighting this week on the show? I guess I'll start by saying what actually, like prompted me to like start blasting this book Love to everybody it. that I know. Um, I wasn't familiar with Ta-Nehisi Coates before reading this. I had heard a little bit about his work with Black Panther. I had heard a little bit about like his work on the Atlantic or with the Atlantic, but I didn't really know who he was, you know what I mean? And I just heard, I just kept hearing the name uh, Between the World and Me. So I finally checked it out because I, I work, I'm a software engineer, so I have a lot of time to listen to stuff and just sit by myself and and ingest content. So I um I finally I finally went to Audible and uh I got the audiobook which was powerful in itself because it's him reading it. So mm. I mean there's nothing more powerful than an art uh, an author reading their own work, wow. especially someone as eloquent as he is and yeah. uh you know the way that his tone and uh his voice is something that I don't think anyone else could have read. You know what I mean? Mm. I think it has to come from the source. Uh, but anyway, I was just taking, like, I was just, in, initially it was just his tone, the way that he uh, told a story, the way that he illustrated a scene uh, just really stood out to me before even looking at the content. Mm. Um, so I've listened to this audiobook like four times now, and I oh, want to wow. read, I want to actually read the print version because I haven't, but um, I was just... <laughs> I'll take that out. Yeah, Show you, if you you don't. Yeah, just make sure you get back. You used to come alchemist. Stereo got my alchemist. You see me. <laughs> you see us often enough to get them books back. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, no, but really, like, um, and I hadn't heard of the fire next time either. So, I listened to the audiobook three times, and what really stood out to me is just the fact that uh, it's a, it's like a snapshot of the black male experience mm. in his lifetime. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. And the way that he tells it, it really, even though I'm not from where he's from, even though my experience is a little bit different, I didn't go to Howard, I didn't go to HBC, HBCU. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things in his experience I don't directly relate to, mm -hmm. but the experience in itself is spot on to yeah, mm. a definitely. lot of people's experiences, including mm -hmm. my own. So, like, I was just really touched by that. And then I listened to The Fire next time, and even further, uh, it, it, just, it just really uh, solidified my feeling about just both of those works, which is The Fire Next Time is obviously a snapshot of what life was like in the 60s mm -hmm. for a person like James Baldwin and the experiences that they have. Um, and honestly, I didn't even know about the fact that um, what those, what The Fire Next Time was like the combination of two different works or two different essays, a letter and the essay that he wrote. Yeah. I didn't know that until like two, yesterday. Oh, yeah. So as I'm yeah. reading it, I'm just hearing it as another version of hmm. Between the World and Me. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's It's... it's very powerful for a young black man, but it's powerful for anyone to mm -hmm. understand that experience, to understand uh, kind of the mentality, uh, and and also just the variation of culture that we have within our within our community. Mm -hmm. Because when the one thing that really stood out to me was when, uh, in between the world and me, when he was talking about 
his experience at Howard and all the different types of people that he yes. came across. Yeah. And that was really, really, really powerful to me because, I mean, we had our experience at San Diego State. But, um, you know, <laughs> we're talking about, what, 3% of the population versus the entire population of black people. So, That's uh, like I said, yeah. our experience is unique, but we had a similar one that we could pull from, you feel me? Yeah, you black, you black, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, that just really what stood out to me and I and I enjoyed it all three and a half times that I've listened to it. Wow. Mm. So um and then the fire next time as well. I just actually finished that like yesterday. So oh. I'll probably do the same with that one. Just you know, listen to it and read it uh several times because I think that uh it's important for us. Uh you were talking earlier, I believe, Jasper, about uh the fact that the books that we have in our education system aren't oh, really yeah. the ones that are supportive of mm-hmm. what we need mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, these two books are absolutely supportive of what a young black man growing up in america at any point needs so yeah um that's what stood out to me and i thought everybody should read it so i just started blasting it yeah thank you no it's been great just amazing especially the way he's able to write absolutely it's amazing it's engaging and you feel like even if even if I was a 70-year-old white woman in Kansas. <laughs> Name Betty. Name, Name Betty. Betty that lived on a farm with three chickens. Um, I would still listen to this and somehow find a way to relate to it. Mm. Because it just that's how powerful his illustration is. Yeah. And that's how powerful, like, he makes you, especially when you hear him speak about it, and you hear the emotion behind the words that he was writing, it really just, it, it, it takes you to whatever place he was in, so... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a powerful work, and uh, I uh, hope there's another one that comes out of this time that we're living in right now. Yeah. A couple of things I'd like to highlight about uh, these these two books yeah. is one, the importance of having these conversations with your teenagers mm. or with your children in general. I work with so many students, especially growing up here in the Bay Area, who don't experience being one of the 3% of a student population. Mm-hmm. Um, they experience a very diverse community as they are growing up. And so they, they don't necessarily understand the necessity to, under, to know what it is to be a black man in America and how you use that and how you work with that to become successful. Yes. And then they go on to college and they're slapped in the face with the fact that they are the only black male in any of their classes. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I definitely like the fact that both of these books are talking to teenage, um, young, young teenage people yes. about Absolutely. these issues and these right. problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I really like about The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin is um, the fact that he thinks about and talks about being a Christian. Right. And... A, a, a black person in this society right. and we are so we are we are given this um information and we just seem to take it in Ooh, and, and be afraid of being critical of it and deciding to look at it in a dual lens and through a different mm-hmm. lens and so like I, I really appreciated the fact that um he talked about how people are so so scared to disrupt the status quo man um and how you know america is handicapped by the narrow the narrowness of thinking Mm -hmm. um and then what i really liked and especially as we were listening to 444 on our way out here (laughs) um he talks about 
the fact that we need to change the way we know, believe, and understand fear, um, especially as black men in America, the way that we interpret fear and the way that we face fear is really, really important for us to teach our young men um, what to do, you know, and to kind of look at that differently and approach that fear differently, um, approach that vulnerability differently, like Jasper spoke on earlier, is really, really important. So for us as black men who are mentors and fathers and older brothers to these young people who are growing up, we got to start looking at fear differently and mm. vulnerability differently. Have any of y'all seen uh, the footnotes that came out of the 444 stuff? I've heard a little bit about it. Um, I haven't quite been able to look at it yet, though. Uh, it's, it's crazy because a lot of the stuff that we're talking about right now, they have a lot of high-profile mm -hmm. people speaking about those exact things and just speaking about uh, the mentality of us as black people and mm. black men specifically mm -hmm. and, and what developed those mentalities and uh, kind of starting to break through them and starting to yes. add... At this stage, some people are, you know, Jay-Z's, what, 47? Mm. Uh, just talking about the realization of when they realized, okay, there's something missing, and there's something missing for all of us. Mm. And that, that thing that's missing with all of us is our problem. Mm. And when we learn that, the way we treat our women will be different, the way we treat our money will be different, the mm. way that we treat each other will be different uh, when we actually realize that. And I think that, you know, I, I said when I was talking about Between the World and Me, I said that, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to one for our generation or our time right now. And I think that, honestly, the 444 project is that. Mm -hmm. But when you look at it as an album, it's just snippets. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, not, it's not a deep, deep analysis of what we're doing, which I understand the, the need for, especially in our society and our short attention spans and, and things like that. Mm. But, like, we need to take that. We need to take the, the footnotes that came from that. And we need to take... I mean, not necessarily that, because you're not the only person that's talking about these issues, but uh, I think that it's a good thing for our culture, for somebody that's, that's high profile, that's that, uh, that has the ear of the youth. I mean, not even just the youth, I mean, everyone. Yeah. 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 Um, and build from that. So, yeah. you know, your movement will touch on a lot of the things that he just grazed across, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? He grazed across building generational wealth, he grazed across uh, your credit, he grazed across, yep. you know, a lot of different things that, you know, you were just speaking about. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a lot of people that hear that, a lot of the kids that hear that and are like, oh yeah, this is amazing, that's where it stops as far as their yeah. education goes. Mm. It's like, okay, that's cool, yeah, you know, it sounded good and I, and I like what he was saying, but then tomorrow, you know, Future's gonna come out with an album and it's gonna change the mentality again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, this is amazing. All the great things you guys are saying. Jasper, did you wanna respond to any of the books that we're highlighting this week? Just wanna make sure you're for I mean, what I would say, I mean, both of these books are, are phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I mentioned right before we got on the air is that our stories haven't been told. <laughs> we, that, that's that's the that's the reason, right? We we were suppressed for so long. We, as black men, were considered like a threat because of our dominance and so on and so forth. And so, we haven't been able to share these stories, so our kids and youth and you know the generations to come don't know. And we tend to uh, 
you know, watch the athletes, the entertainers. And so, like, when Jay-Z mentioned about the credit thing, like, my friends were tagging me in, and I'm like, yeah, I've been talking about that for years, but <laughs> he says credit, now yeah. y'all want to think? It's like, yeah. it's like, that's... Positions of power, right? It, it is, right? And so we don't we don't have those role models. We don't have the mentors, yeah. you know. I mean, hate to say it, a lot of our brothers and daddies in jail. Right. Man. You know, we talk the about the whole prison. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the whole prison. So we, our kids don't know. These, these young men, moms are doing the best they can, but... You need a male presence mm-hmm. <laughs> somewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not in your house. You know, I was blessed to have, you know, our parents are still together, but I've had that mom and dad. Right. So I get the, you know, the soft side of my mom, but the tough part. My dad's like, you a brother in America. Uh, you got a target, bro. Right. And I've never forgotten that. So out of all that I do, and I'm sure, you know, any black male who tells a story, you've been hit with some racism mm-hmm. <laughs> recently. Man. <laughs> doesn't, day, matter, d- doesn't matter your title, how much money you make. I mean, you talk, you hear about these wealthy people who still get arrested, get pulled yep. over, and like, oh, because you were, you know, you were a brother driving a Tesla. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't, you know. My, one of our boys, he actually, he's he's a millionaire. He's local. He got pulled over. I was like, well, yeah. they, they don't yeah. like to see a brother in a, in a Tesla. You <laughs> don't even matter if you like skin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One drop rule is real. It's real. (laughs) No, um, the interesting thing is, like, the fact that you guys are all black men sitting here. I am a black woman, obviously. Um, And the conversations that we can have within our given circles, let it be within within the black male circle, within the black woman circle, the next step, and I remember we talked about this, Damon, is putting them all in conversation with each other and recognizing how we're all a part of that given solution as we go forward. And these these stories, um, these books, these writers, they need to be shared, and we need to share our stories, too. Because, Jasper, you mentioned that earlier in terms of we all have a story to share. Mm-hmm. And I'm a writer. I love to write. <laughs> and all of my, my life experiences are in my writing. And I encourage people all day to write. Damon, write your book. So if I record, so if I record my story, you're going to write it for me and do sure. all the other? All right, sure, good. we can talk about that. And I just want to wrap this up with, um, we'll wrap up the book segment, then we're going to wrap up the show. We're a little over time, but that's okay. We're going to do some editing, but it's all good. Two um, passages from the book that I just wanted to highlight from Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, page 113. You exist. You matter. You have value. You have every right to wear your hoodie, to play your music as loud as you want. You have every right to be you, and no one should deter you from being you. You have to be you, and you can never be afraid to be you. That's from Between the World and Me. And one passage that I want to highlight from James Baldwin that I was highlighting on my Instagram a few weeks ago when we were talking about this on the way here. Um, It's a really short passage where he states on page nine, many of them indeed know better, But as you will discover, people find it very difficult to act on what they know. Knowledge is nothing if you don't apply it. So Mm. everything we done talked about today, if y'all just gonna let it sit, Y'all, y'all part of the problem. Y'all better take this. Y'all better go oh, see, do something with it. It's okay. It's okay. Girl. I mean, it's real. Cool. Y'all, I hope y'all feel that in my voice. Oh my God. Just apply this. We're not. We're, we are seriously not in here just running our mouth to run our mouth. This is real life. We live this. We're about this, and we want the people who are listening to this to be about it too. Um. So that wraps up our show. However. We do, we were supposed to do it at the top of the show, and we need to do it real quick. We want to um, pay respect to a great activist, comedian, leader, um, just a staple within our community who recently passed. 
um, Mr. Richard Claxton Gregory, better known as Dick Gregory. Um, I remember my dad talking about him a lot growing up and playing a lot of his his commentary. Um, me and my brother were talking about it earlier. Shout out to Malachi Tripp, my brother. Um, he was really moved, very sad by this brother's passing. Um, yeah, he's gone. He's gone on to glory. Look him up if you do not know who Mr. Gregory is. He was a comedian, an activist, a pillar within the civil rights movement, um, within the black community, was very unapologetic mm. and upfront mm. about his opinions. Until the day he died. <laughs> until, yes, until the day he died. And um, definitely an inspiration to us all. Um, would you guys like to say anything about Mr. Gregory as we wrap it up? I guess the only thing I'll say is that whenever somebody like that that was like actively involved in like the civil rights movement specifically but just whoever's whenever someone who had that much impact for that long man passes my first thought always is who's taking that place man and take the words out of my mouth take the words out of my mouth yeah who's Sorry, next y'all. apologize for that but um that's the question and, and you know if i think about it for myself and i think about you know, the people who are actually trying to move out here. I can't answer that question right now. Um, maybe y'all can help me out, but that's my question. Mm. And, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali had the same question. Man. Prince, I had the same question. <laughs> you know, Maya Angelou had the same question. And, and the real, the root of that question is like, those people were powerful people that came from a very powerful time. And right now, this time right now, it doesn't seem to be, to me, producing that type of person. Yeah. We're, we're gonna be those people. We have to be. We have to be. We have to. We have to. We as individuals who know their stories, who know their histories, we have to do better. We have to challenge ourselves better because we can't let it stop with them. They wouldn't let us. I agree with that. But all right. So then there's the other factor of a lot of that comes. A lot of what they were came out of a certain type of struggle, right? A lot of what they they were came as a necessity. And I think that we have to make our, how do I say it? We, what's driving us, what's driving us to that level of involvement? Like what you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as, mm-hmm. as soon as something gets uncomfortable for your stability, something uncomfortable for your financial state, something uncomfortable for your s- social status, then it's easy to fall back. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, how do we stay engaged? How do we continue to push and what's going to give us that fire to be that type of impactful and I feel like in this era of short attention spans like I said quick news something lasts for three days mm-hmm. and then it goes away what has that lasting power like even we're talking so highly about this 444 album but like what are we going to be talking about in October mm-hmm. is that going to is that are all those concepts or all those things going to live and is somebody going to continue to push us forward where's Jay-Z going to be in the next Three four months. Is he and, gonna... and that big new house that is bought. That's why we have to. That's why we have exactly. to look. That's, exactly. Exactly. That's why we have to look to our ourselves within our given communities, mm-hmm. not to the celebrities, not to Trump, not to the systems, but into our day to day, everyday lives. And these are great questions you're posing. And I'm just gonna. There's there. They they require strategic plans, a lot of critical thought, mm. a lot of effort and time. But what we're fighting against is complacency. 
ignorance and acceptance of just how things are. We cannot accept it is what it is. Because if the people before us did, we wouldn't even be sitting here today to have the privilege to even talk about this. Mm -hmm. So we have to keep up with it. And I, going back to the state of what we first started on, it's a fugitive state of mind. I'm, this quote right here, I'm just going to state it from the article, Juliet Hooker. She says, certain strands of fugitive black political thought can help us to theorize instead how engaging in a politics of active, active resistance that does not fit easily within the bounds of liberal democracy might be absolutely crucial to achieving racial justice. We have to be radical. We have to have a fugitive state of mind and we have to put that sense of urgency within ourselves so we can place it on other people. Mm -hmm. I feel that. But the question is, what's going to drive that? Because it's easy, I guess, to say, yeah, you, you have to be that way. But in my day-to-day, -day, like, I have to make sure that I got food. I got to make sure that mm. my family's taken care of. And, there, and the struggle is not real enough. And, that, and we need to make it real. How? Y'all let us know out there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, I mean... By, I mean, I don't mean to sound all cliche, but like waking up. I mean, everybody calls it woke, but ain't nobody woke. I mean, Spike Lee was saying wake up back then. You know, like we like it's it's a different form of fight. It's just that what we're fighting against is like that complacency. Like everybody's just like, well, it is what it is. And it can't be that. That's I, but we'll leave that for the next. I think that's the next podcast. Well, I think we got a lot to learn from <laughs> our history, and if we become in tune with people like James, James Baldwin, or Dick Gregory, um, if we choose to become educated in our own history, even within the time that we've been in America, then we could feel that pain. Um, I, I, I'm an English literature major, and we studied folk songs and I could feel that pain mm -hmm. um, you know I went to the Museum of African Diaspora last weekend and I could feel that pain you know what I'm saying so it just becomes it's, it's our responsibility as this generation to feel the pain that mm -hmm. our ancestors went through and use that as fuel to propel us forward I feel that. Jasper do you want to add to that as we wrap up yeah, I, I would echo a lot of what y'all are saying, too. I think the fire for each of us is going to be slightly different. Mm -hmm. Like, my flame might be a different color than your flame, but right. I think every time every time I read an article about how African-Americans are at the bottom of every economic, like, when it comes to saving, investing, owning property, that's the fire that burns in me, right? That. That's why this movement is coming, Absolutely. because... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It eats me alive. And I'm like, we're Absolutely. too smart. We've come too far. Yes. And yet we're still at the bottom. Absolutely. Mm. You have immigrants who aren't from here, who just pop up, don't know the language, but yet can run a successful business. Mm. And that's my personal fire. And so I know that's the the fight that I'm going to fight for, right? Like, I'm not going to say I'm not going to flat out not support other efforts, but I know mine's going to be very focused. And I think a lot of us, we, we're getting behind too many efforts. Pick yours and ride it Man, out. Man, I mm. like that. So why try to protest in every city if it's not your cause? Like, yo, <sighs> there's certain causes I just will never get behind, right? And I know that made me near and dear to you or you or you. So I might be like, yo, I might throw you a couple of dollars, but I ain't coming out there. I ain't post. Like, it's not my thing. That's you. But if it's financial related, I'm all on it. Mm. And just know that's going to be my calling for the rest of my life. But most people haven't found their calling because we're, we're so lost in terms. We don't know ourselves. Uh, yeah. So I know Jasper is going to be this this financial guru, the financial concierge, this build wealth thing. It's just it's not all it's not about me. Mm. It's about who else I'm going to touch as a result of my work now. And mine's very focused. So you find that focus, you drive it home. 
right? If it's healthcare, that's a huge issue. I mean, my my father's a retired physician. He 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 said the reason he went into practice was because his community didn't have the level of service they needed. Yeah, that became yep. his passion. Mm. I didn't want to be a physician because I didn't like school that much. But I was like, I, I got to learn something yep. and apply what I've learned. And mine ended up being financial services. So right. I found my calling. You know, right. each one of you has a calling. Like, you know, she likes to write. Mm-hmm. I would I not expect you. To be, I wouldn't be expect. If you're not writing, I'm gonna say something's wrong with you. I don't write. I think you need to have a, a voice, and maybe that's over a podcast like this. Maybe that's in person on 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 uh, TV or or media, mm-hmm. or, or maybe it's just your voice, and you do you know a workshop. Mm. So I think hitting all these different forms of media, I know are imperative to my future yeah. success. But all of my messaging is all gonna be related to money. Mm. So if you ever like, why are you talking about this? You know it ain't my strong suit. But if it's money, y'all gonna know, like, yeah, he been doing that for a long time. Right. He been doing that since 21. Yeah, I think he might know something. Right. If he's still fighting for it, that means he right. cares. And I've thought about quitting, mm. right? But all of my mentors, because I had, you know, strong, manly people in my life, entrepreneurs, were like, you know what? You gonna quit? Yeah. And they challenged me, and guys hate being challenged. That's mm. it. People hate being challenged. The ones Thank that can sister. answer to the call as the <laughs> one woman voice here today. Thank you, sister. Even though my sisters will be with me next week and we'll interchange it every week for you guys. But no, I appreciate everybody's voice. Mm-hmm. I appreciate everybody's spirit. And I appreciate the fact that we're being critical and thoughtful. And you're right, Jasper. Even though it's a different flame, a different color, the passion is there. And we're working towards it. And because of those like Dick Gregory, Maya Angelou, James Baldwin, all those who went through so much more before us because of what they laid, we have a responsibility to ourselves, to our community, and for the next generation to make sure that they have it better. It's a process. We're getting through it. And I'll wrap it up on this note, a quote, because I've been reading quotes all day. A quote from Dick Gregory was, the free man is the man with no fears. And to sum up everything we were talking about today in terms of success, celebrating who we are, finding strength and vulnerability, we need to be free. We need to be free within our mental um, state of mind. We need to be free with how we approach each other. We need to be free with how we're thinking and how we're living. And when you're free, you're not in fear. You're not in bondage. You're not letting nobody or nothing hold you down. So we're hoping here with the Seed You Sow podcast that this episode today and all the episodes going forward have planted some type of hope some type of thought, some type of something for you. Um, So tune in next week. We will be here every Sunday. We'll start on time next time, but it's okay. (laughs) If not, um, we're definitely going to have it available for you guys to listen to anytime. I am Aisha Tripp. Can my other co-hosts shout themselves out? Damon Hastings. Mike Waller. Jasper Smith. Yes, we are here for you guys. And thanks for tuning in. Stay blessed and stay at peace. Holla.